And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up, a pain in the arsenal as Blues let Leeds slip. It's better though, isn't it, generally? Uh, the women's team breeze past Brighton and we'll reveal the Chelsea team who did win a London derby this weekend. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Outta Cobham. Mudrick takes over. And he completely catches the goalkeeper. Playing a, uh, a team against Arsenal, I think we need to take many, many positive things. I think we were very competitive. I think uh, we deserve more, but that is the period that we need to be strong and 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 believe because I think um, the good thing will arrive. I'm disappointed today, but I think too many positive. Oh, we were so close, weren't we, listeners? Still, I think things are looking up generally. Uh, in terms of Chelsea's men's first team. We're going to get into the game against Arsenal soon enough. But first, let me introduce my associates for today, the Athletics Chelsea expert, Liam Toomey's with us. How are you doing, Liam? I'm good, Matt. I've got a philosophical question for you to start. When is a draw that feels like a defeat actually a win? Mm, Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? I think in this case, you might be right. Uh, Luke Boucher, what are you thinking? Was this two points drop? Was this one gained? Are we generally thinking that Chelsea are all right now? Uh, I think positives overall to take from it. 
more positives than negatives, I'd say, Matt. All right. Well, let's see if Simon Johnson agreed. Here's his voice note. Recorded at full time as Chelsea drew 2-2 with Arsenal. Okay, the final whistle just gone. It's Chelsea 2, Arsenal 2. And um, it's remarkable how the last, well, the atmosphere is now compared to what it would have been about 15 minutes ago. What it looked like was going to be 15 minutes ago. There's Chelsea fans flooding out of the ground. It's very muted. Well, apart from the Arsenal away fans who can't believe their luck in the away end, they've got a point out of this. Um, Chelsea, masters of their own downfall. You can see a few of the players in the middle of the pitch sort of talking amongst themselves, already sort of clearly the uh, post-mortem, how they managed to blow that, is already going on because they're in total control and looking like they were going to get their first win against Arsenal at home in the league since 2018. But it just shows that there's still a lot of work to do with this Chelsea team because as well as they played for, for most of this match and control for most of this match, once things went awry with Robert Sanchez doing a beautiful assist for Declan Rice to score a goal against, could we call it his former club when he released at the age of 14? I'm sure that a lot of people will milk that fact. But once that goal was conceded, the mood changed. Chelsea fans got nervous. Perhaps they were having memories of uh, Carno in 1999 in their minds, and it almost was a repeat. You, you did feel that Arsenal had, had a chance to, to come back to get all three points, but the way that Chelsea mismanaged the game at 2-1, you could see the nerves set in. They didn't know how to handle the occasion, see the game out, passes were misplaced. And you can just sense the frustration around here because this is another game that, that Chelsea dropped points in. And he's got to feel some sympathy for Mudrick in particular. This was a, a, a great occasion for him against a, a club he could have joined. He's been mocked mercilessly by Arsenal fans ever since he chose Chelsea over them in January. And this felt like a real breakthrough occasion for him, having a hand in the penalty. No pun intended there. Uh, scoring rather fortunately in the second half, his first goal at Stamford Bridge. He had the biggest smile on his face. And just as I'm talking, Ben Chilwell was just greeting Madrid as he's walking down the tunnel. It really felt like a, a real sort of significant occasion for him, but the gloss has been taken off that with this disappointing result. And um, it just feels like Chelsea are too much of a nearly team at the moment and not like they were evolved where once they took the lead you knew the game was over I think opponents still realise that they've got a chance against this team there's a bit of a soft underbelly uh, he did not agree then too much of a nearly team a bit of a soft underbelly little bit harsh uh, definitely better I think performances mostly cohesive front foot energetic all quite potch like Liam I'm thinking he, he started to make his imprint on this team well look before I even talk about the game one important bit of context for Simon Johnson's voice note. He was called back from holiday to do this game because I came down with hand, foot and mouth courtesy of my daughter and had to pull out. So that might have influenced Simon's, let's face it, often fatalistic attitude when it comes to these things. As for Chelsea's performance, I thought it was really good. I thought in terms of what, supporters would have been looking to see going into the game and certainly what I was looking to see as someone who's analysed the last few games was just whether this 
team could actually hang with a really good opponent because we'd seen the green shoots of recovery in the last three games before the international break. I'd written about a few of them, most notably that that midfield with Enzo, Caicedo and Gallagher and the way that it was clicking together. And I thought I thought most of that was borne out against Arsenal. I thought they they held them at arm's reach for long spells. They were they were really good with and without the ball, really well drilled. Got a bit of luck with the goals that they scored, but broadly deserved them. And if it weren't for a mistake from Robert Sanchez, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk in more detail about, they probably do win the game. But the fact that they didn't win the game. I don't think should take away from the fact that this was a really positive performance that should leave people when the when the dust settles on the 2-0 to 2-2 it should leave supporters I think feeling better about Chelsea than they would have done before the game because this has not been a good fixture for Chelsea in the last few years even when Arsenal were ostensibly the underdogs which they're clearly not now so to to kind of outplay them and for Pochettino to kind of outcoach Arteta for about 60, 70 minutes, I think are all really positive signs, especially when you think about the fact that their preparations for this game were, were not ideal either with injuries and Caicedo and Fernandez on international duty into the early hours of Wednesday morning. Uh, yeah, Maurizio Pochettino was asked about picking uh, Caicedo and Fernandez, even though they'd had such a long trip back. Here's what he had to say. I said, Enzo, they arrived after two games in South America. Uh, they were not fresh, you yeah. know, and then, uh, but they are important play for us. And, and that is, is going to, okay, we have one week to work and unfortunately we are, they are going to be better and, and the team is going to improve. How hard is it to come back from South America? Having played. It's really, I mean, it's, really it's Wednesday was, morning. It's I, Wednesday morning in European terms. No, yes, yes, it's crazy. It's crazy. But at the same time, if they, uh, you say, okay, I, I'm going to give rest, but you, you kill me for sure if you don't play this. <laughs> but, uh, I'm the owner also. But, uh, <laughs> but I think I've seen is, nah, it's about, uh, yes, it's, it's, really, it's really tough. It's really tough to arrive, uh, shed lag and everything. I hope that now one week they can recover and train and, and be in the, in the, in the best. And we had a load of tweets to at SO Cobham Pod. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. A couple of positive ones to kick off with. Uh, Connor says, Poch got it spot on. Defensive shape, setup, and patterns of play on the break. All good. If Sanchez's mistake doesn't happen, we win 2 0. We're a young side. We'll begin to see those games out in future. Uh, Steph added, Really proud we deserve to win. The pre season fitness training paying off. But where is Connor's new contract? What a player. And Vermillion Dynamite said, phenomenal performance to go toe-to-toe with them and come out easily the better side. Naive team are going to do naive things. Not much you can do. Uh, in terms of the starting lineup, Luke, we saw a couple of changes from Burnley before the break. Malo Gusto back from suspension and back in here and Mikhailo Mudrik playing as well. I thought that was really critical in, in terms of the defence. We had four defenders all playing in their preferred position. Sounds like a simple thing, but it's not something we've seen very often this season. Yeah, I think it worked. It worked really well. I think Kukurea, you know, playing it at left back for once this season was actually incredibly impressive. You know, he was playing like someone with a point to prove, uh, which, you know, obviously he does after after what happened last season and over the summer. And I thought Colwell and Silva looked quite assured for the most part as a centre-back partnership. You know, Gabriel Jesus and Eddie Nketiah were both sort of non-events for most of the game. And Gusto, I think, you know, had a solid game, but 
you know, you look at the second goal, he's definitely let Trossard go off the back of him. And as a fullback, you know, that's a cardinal sin. And you know, he, he will probably look back at that and think he should have done a lot better. But, you know, in terms of going forward and how it impacted Chelsea's shape, both defensively uh, and offensively, it was really, really good to see. And I think he just looked a lot more natural, you know, and I think Kukurea playing as a left back helped Mudrik ahead of him, you know, had that orthodox left back behind him, meant Mudrik was able to attack spaces. I think Kukurea knew sort of if Mudrik was going to go inside a little bit, Kukurea knew to go outside and, and vice versa. And it was really positive to see. Yeah, Kukurea's really stepped up in, in recent weeks, Liam. Do you think that his performances mean that we will see Colwell playing as that left centre-half more often than not now? Because as we know, that's his preferred position. I don't know, because if Axel Dezassi doesn't get that injury problem to his thigh, I think Pochettino's default would have been to stick with the same defensive structure. That's been the evidence of the season so far. He's wanted to keep that unit as consistent as possible. And also, we we were kind of here with Kukurea as a right-back against Fulham and Brighton, and then he absolutely fell apart against Wilson Odebert at Turf Moor, and it was embarrassing. So I... I I still think we're at a point with with Kukurea where you can't feel good about him playing real minutes that that matter. It might work, it might not, but there's such a high variance between his good performances and bad performances. And you always feel like as much as he he clearly cares and he, he clearly approached this game with plenty of energy, he got into Saka early and succeeded in in throwing him off his rhythm a little bit. You can just never rule out with Kukurea that he's he's going to be in the wrong position at a bad moment. If he gets isolated 1v1 against a, a winger, it can go really poorly for him because his footwork is not, not the best. So, it, yeah, I, th- I still think when everyone's fit, based on what we've seen, Pochettino will will go back to, to Colwell at left-back with Dizassi and Silva, and partly because I think he likes what Colwell gives the team at left back. It's something we couldn't have predicted from pre-season, but especially given that he's picking, whether it be Mudrick or Sterling, a very attack-minded left winger in front of him. I think he quite likes the balance of having a really defensive-minded left back. My mind goes back to Mourinho picking as Pilaqueta at left back because he had Hazard in front of him. You know, it's a similar sort of principle to try and balance the team. But the other thing I think Luke mentioned Mudrick there and you guys were discussing him. That I, I think was the best defensive performance I've seen from Mudrick. He really seems to be making strides in terms of knowing where to be, how to position his body when he's pressing, trying to cut off angles. When he first got to Chelsea, he looked like he didn't really have a clue on that side of the ball. And he that to me is the influence of Pochettino's coaching. They are improving him. And it obviously helps your confidence when you hit a sliced cross and it gets blown into the net by a gust of pure narrative. <laughs> um, we'll get to Mudrick's goal shortly, Liam. But before that, Chelsea score a penalty. Uh, we don't need to talk about the award of that. It was given. It took a long time for, for VAR to get involved. But Cole Palmer, who was playing sort of through the middle of that front three, scored the penalty against Burnley, gets the ball here. Raheem Sterling tries to wrestle it off him. And it turns out it's Enzo Fernandez who's the key decision maker here because he just points at Palmer and says, Cole. 
and Sterling gives the ball up. I thought that was one of the, the best moments of the day. What did you make of Sterling trying to take the ball off him and, and how much fortitude did it take for Palmer to say, no, I'm having this and then dispatching it? I thought it was um, it was an interesting passage of play, to be honest. And it's all you always get a bit nervous when you see that happening and the commentators, you know, build it up. And as you said, Matt, there was quite a long VAR delay, but I thought it showed... I, I don't really mind it in terms of, you know, Sterling's a senior player, an attacking player. You know, goals are his bread and butter. He's taken a few penalties before, uh, maybe not that many, but I didn't love, because from the last game, I think it seemed like Palmer was Chelsea's designated penalty taker on the pitch. So in that aspect, it was a little bit undermining from Sterling, but then, you know, full credit to the half-asleep Enzo Fernandez, who took a real leadership role in that moment and, you know, made a very swift decision. And obviously, you know, Palmer scores, celebrates with Sterling after and all is well. But I think it's one of those where, you know, teams need to have um, a set penalty taker. And hopefully that has kind of set the benchmark for the rest of the season. I might be wrong, but my read on that moment, and I only saw it back once, was that Sterling wasn't trying to take the ball for himself that he was trying to take the ball off Palmer to give it to Enzo. And then he turned to Enzo and Enzo basically said, no, Cole. I, I don't know. I don't, because we we didn't get clarity from Pochettino, did we, on that exchange? But in any case, as Luke says, I think it speaks really well of the team spirit as a whole, because an exchange like that, when things are going poorly, can really expose some fault lines in a dressing room. But the fact that they all just brushed it off and most significantly of all, the fact that Palmer was just completely unaffected by it and, and took a an utterly nerveless penalty, his second consecutive penalty after a lengthy delay where he had all the time to think about it and mess it up in his head. I think that shows his strength of character and, and concentration as well. And he, he fully deserves to be the penalty taker moving forward now. Yeah, I think the other thing to almost slightly row back on what I said about Sterling is, you know, we don't know. It may have been one of those sort of ploys that we've seen this season and last season due to VAR where one player takes the ball and looks like they're going to take the penalty and they are the player that attracts, you know, the sort of digs from the crowd, digs from the keeper, digs from, you know, defenders behind them. And then at the last minute they step away and it's another player that takes a penalty. We don't know. We don't know how it played out. So we're now getting decoy arguments, Luke. This is this is <laughs> next level misdirection. Yeah, very meta. Palmer will probably be taking the next penalty, but we'll have to wait and see about that. Uh, what about the Mudrick goal then, Luke? Liam says that narrative took the ball in. Maurizio Pochettino says that Mudrick knew that Raya was going to be off his line and that's why he did it. Do you say shank or skill? Uh, a goal is a goal is a goal, I think. Yeah, a large slice of that narrative that, you know, I think a certain uh, member of this podcast predicted last week, uh, but we won't dwell on that too long. But uh, it was a you know great moment for for Madrid, great confidence boost, and I quite enjoyed his celebration. It was very Jude Bellingham esque to just sort of stick his arms out and go and what. He's deserved a slice of luck, hasn't he, Liam? So if that was a shank, which let's face it, it, it absolutely was, then it, it's about time that something went his way. Yeah, definitely. I thought for a moment he was he was practicing for one of the crossbar challenges he's been having with Pochettino, but he didn't quite get the elevation on it. Perfect arc to to go over Raya. But yeah, he's he's definitely earned that. We've we've seen 
we've seen him building towards better performances. And to me, as I referenced, the fact that he's doing the little things, like really paying attention when the team don't have the ball to how he fits within the defensive structure, that shows that he really cares and that he wants to succeed. He's not just thinking about goals, assists. He's He, he wants to do all the work for the team. And he, he seems convinced by Pochettino that if he does the little things, the big things will come. And so, I, yeah, I, I think um, there's a, a lot of reason to be optimistic about, about Mudrick. Now, I, I wondered actually if being benched against Burnley might have set him back a little bit. But it's clear that's not the case. And um, hopefully he can go from strength to strength. And I say hopefully because I think, and I, I've been consistent on this since Chelsea signed him, I, th- I think he's an incredibly explosive talent who could be just an amazing player in the Premier League to watch. And I think it's it, it would be great for the league, never mind just Chelsea, if he becomes that player. All right, that's enough positivity. Let's pile in on Robert Sanchez, shall we? Uh, Prasanna has got his finger on the pulse. Tweets to say, Liam's piece on Sanchez talks about him giving away the ball three to four times while playing from the back and didn't get penalised. Today, Sanchez did get penalised. Did Liam jinx it? Uh, Jonah adds, still need a true number one goalkeeper. Sanchez is fine as a stopgap right now. Luke, I feel a bit sorry for him because it's one glaring error that he's made, obviously, for the Rice goal. There was some criticism of him for the second as well. But but generally, he's been OK, hasn't he? Is, is this just a kind of residual from the fact that he was Brighton's third-choice goalkeeper at the end of last season and, and therefore looked like an underwhelming signing and he was always going to get heavy criticism for, for the first key mistake that he made? Or, or is this symptomatic of the fact that he's probably not quite a first-choice Premier League goalie for an elite side? It's a really interesting one. I think I think he's done more than okay since coming into the Chelsea team. Obviously was, as you say, Matt, quite an underwhelming signing, really brought in to be an experienced number two, I think, behind Kepa. Seemed to be the plan going into the season. Obviously, you know, Real Madrid, Thibaut Courtois, that changed that situation and Sanchez was flung into, into the limelight. And I think he's done way better than I thought he would. I think one save of the month for September, I think, for that unbelievable save against uh, Aston Villa I think it was in in that defeat and honestly I've been I've been so impressed with him both in terms of you know his distribution I think has been before that game very very solid and his shot stopping has been a real touch of class you know when the defense has you know looked a little bit leaky in games I think he's been there and he's been very very solid and I think I mean the error against Arsenal it looks bad but I think not enough has been said about just how ridiculous a first-time finish that was from Declan Rice. It was absolutely superb. And you can tell he's a player of incredibly high quality. Obviously, you know, Chelsea fans still feel uh, a little bit kind of certain kind of way towards. And yeah, I think just, I think there are very few players on that pitch who could do what Declan Rice has done in that moment. I think, I think throughout the game, you know, I watched large parts of it back in the first half as well. I think Chelsea just in general, were a little bit sloppy in possession, particularly the back four, particularly in the defensive third. There were a few times where there were some clearances that went awry, some passes that just went straight to an Arsenal player and none of those errors were punished. And it just so happened that Sanchez's error, which I didn't think was that bad, uh, was the one that did get punished in the end. And I thought, 
as you say, I felt a bit sorry for him because I think his performances up till now in a Chelsea shirt, you know, I, I think have been really, really good. Liam, tell us a bit about your piece and, and your opinions on, on Sanchez. Can I just say, first of all, jinxing is not a thing. If I <laughs> if I had that power, I'd be off manipulating the stock market or something, not not toying with the fortunes of individual Premier League footballers. Yeah, I am quite pleased with the way I wrote that piece, though, because <laughs> it was geared around his his dangerous passing from the back and presented within the context of this is what he's being asked to do. And I think fans need to remember that because it's it's very, very easy and it's the obvious thing to completely slaughter a goalkeeper when they're passing out from the back and they just pass the ball straight to an opposition attacker. But you need to look at that. You need to remember when you see things like that, that the coach wants them to play this way. And I... Part of me does think we're going to look back at this age of football in like even five, ten years and think, what the hell was everyone doing? Because this this dogmatic insistence on playing out, whatever the pressure, playing these these short, dangerous passes, and you are essentially giving your most limited footballer, because that's what a goalkeeper is, <laughs> the most limited footballer in your team. You're giving them, in some cases, the most difficult decisions to make with the smallest margin for error. And we're seeing so many goals like this now. David Rea almost conceded one in the second half, which is even worse, much worse than Sanchez's one, where he just gifts the ball to Cole Palmer in his own penalty area. So it always looks really, really bad when it goes wrong. But the, the thinking is that by doing that, by playing out that way, and statistically in the run-up to this game, Robert Sanchez had the highest pass completion of any goalkeeper in the Premier League. And he, he, I think he'd misplaced two short passes. Uh, everyone remembers the Brighton game. That was a cup game. So it doesn't count for these purposes. And so the, the passes that go wrong, you remember, because they generally lead to really big chances immediately. But the thinking from coaches like Pochettino is that by all the short passes that he gets right, Chelsea are not giving the ball back to to the opposition. Only Manchester City have had more possession than them on average so far this season, and it gives them a greater degree of control. So I, I don't know where the trade-off will land in elite football in, in five to ten years, but this is where we are right now, and I think it's a little bit unfair to hold Robert Sanchez singularly responsible, particularly when Pochettino has been specifically asking him to play out into the middle of the pitch which is typically more risky because that's where the opposition have more bodies pressing you as well because they want to get Caicedo and Enzo on the ball as often as possible to build through them. So when he when he gets it wrong, it wasn't the worst pass in the world, but it was between two players. And then I think a bit of narrative caught that rice shot as well, if we're honest. Uh, it was an incredible first-time effort just inside the post. It makes Sanchez look worse. I think on the whole, he's been pretty decent for Chelsea. But the way I wrote that piece in the in the final section, it was, this is going to happen. He's going to concede a goal like this. I didn't know it was going to happen against Arsenal, but I knew it was going to happen soon because it's inevitable if you're playing this way. The question now is, how does he respond? Does it get into his head? Because it looks like it's got into David Rea's head and his performances have gone downhill. We've seen Andre Anana struggle at Manchester United as well. So... We know goalkeepers a big confidence position. So can Sanchez shake this off and, and continue playing 
the way he had been before? Or does this become a bigger issue for him and for Chelsea? All right, well, Simon's uh, post-match piece is on Robert Sanchez, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up to read it if you aren't currently a subscriber. Tushar says, I believe the Jackson sub killed Chelsea's momentum going forward. Everything from that point just went south. Uh, Luke, you saw the the difference in the quality of the two benches here, really, didn't you? And obviously that's partly down to, to Chelsea's injury situation. But Arsenal were able to affect the game positively with their changes. Obviously, Trossard, the standout in, in that regard. It didn't really happen for, for the Chelsea changes. And Jackson, that opportunity, one of those that you feel like if he's fit and firing, or maybe even if he's been on the pitch for, it, for a little bit longer, he, he would have stuck away. Yeah, and it was the tactical tweak, I think, as well, when Jackson came on, the sort of switch in formation particularly defensively we'd seen Chelsea defending incredibly productively in that 4-4-2 shape with Gallagher and Palmer kind of pressing you know the centre-backs and the defensive midfielders and when Jackson came on I, I did kind of think that Poch would stick with that shape but it ended up being a you know a straight 4-3-3 for the most part both in and out of possession and I think I guess maybe that was you know Pochettino's attempt to to get more control of the game at a time when it did look like, you know, Arsenal were a little bit on top and they could come back into it. And yeah, as you say, the mischance is the mischance. I think we've seen a lot of that from Jackson. I don't think he is yet a clinical number nine, but that's fine. You know, you look at his age and the number of senior minutes he's got under his belt. You can't expect him to be, you know, finishing every chance he gets. And that, you know, ostensibly did look like quite a good chance, but as you say, Matt, I think there are mitigating circumstances given the fact that he'd only been on the pitch for, you know, two, three minutes and that was those were, you know, near enough his first touches. It's difficult because I think in seasons gone by, you know, more successful Chelsea teams, you know, would have had either starting or the ability to bring on a Jorginho or a Mateo Kovacic to kind of control the game a little bit more and just bring the tempo right down get some possession, win fouls, you know, in the middle third, defensive third, just to break up the play. But you look at Chelsea's bench, Leslie Ugochukwu, who I think is, you know, has looked looked really, really positive when he's played, was the only central midfielder on the bench. And Pochettino elected to not use him, despite the fact, as we've talked about, as Pochettino said, that Caicedo and Fernandez returned quite late from South America. And that is a bit of an indication as to where Chelsea's depth is at the moment. And potentially a gap in their squad. You know, you'd look at the midfield trio that started the game. You would want really late in the game, Enzo Fernandez to be the player that kind of controls the tempo of the game and says, okay, my team are up by two or up by one. I just need to win a foul or just slow it down. And just, and I don't think he really did that. And obviously that's, that's fine. He's a young player. He's coming back from South America but yeah, I think it is it is a sign of where the two teams are in their sort of their journeys. Uh, let's finish up on the Arsenal game, Liam, on a positive, and that being the return of Rhys James came on uh, for the final six minutes plus stoppage time. Do you think that means that he's likely to start against Brentford? And, and is that case going to be kind of forwarded by the fact that Gusto made the error for the second goal? I've given up trying to figure out where Reese James is with his fitness. Uh, I, I thought the fact that he was on the bench for this game was a, a slightly mysterious one because I, I just felt it's a game of such intensity that you're either ready to play or you're not. 
but I guess if you don't have a game every three days, it becomes that that bit more difficult to to ease players returning from injury back into the team. I think it all depends on how he trains this week. And Pochettino, I know it sounds like a cop out, but I think with James in particular, it seems to be a, a continual case of seeing how his body responds day to day. And if he's in a good position by Wednesday, Thursday, I think um, Pochettino will start him if he has a credible opportunity to. If he doesn't feel that way, I don't think Pochettino should feel bad about you know, picking Gusto either. He ma- he made a mistake that a young player makes sometimes losing track of, of Trossard at the back post. It was a brilliant cross from Bukayo Saka who hadn't really had a sniff in terms of influencing the game up to that point. That That's what the best attackers in the Premier League can do to you. And, and it was a great run from Trossard. I don't think it invalidates the good moments that Gusto has had in a Chelsea shirt so far. I think he's just going to he's going to have to learn on the pitch like a lot of these players. This is the thing. If you have the youngest squad in the league, you're going to have to take your lumps at times, particularly against good teams. So I think if, if Gusto has to play, I don't think Chelsea should feel bad about that. But if James is uh, getting back to a position where he feels confident enough to start a game, that that is obviously a huge positive. All right, we'll look ahead to Brentford in our Thursday show. Next today, we'll tell you how the women's team got on this weekend. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ingle, Kerr, Nushkin, there is the hat trick. The new midfielder showing everyone how to finish here. Chelsea have their cushion. Chaos and goals reigned supreme at Kings Meadow on Sunday. Chelsea came from behind to beat Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, we mentioned on Thursday that the Seagulls were the last team to win a league game at Kings Meadow way back when. They took the lead here too through Pauline Bremer, but Chelsea dominated, fought back with a Sjurkan Nuskan hat trick, her first goals for the club, and Aggie Beaver Jones getting her first Blues goal too. You might have seen the footage online of Nuskin rocking up at Kings Meadow by bike and then taking the match ball home with her. Difficult to do that on a bike, obviously. Hopefully she had a backpack to put it in. Uh, it means Chelsea a second on goal difference behind Man City. Both teams have got 10 points after four games. Uh, Luke, this is something we spoke about on the pod quite a lot last season. Keen to get your take. Are we a bit laissez-faire about how brilliant this Chelsea team are and have we just kind of come to accept it as normality? They had 30 shots at goal in this game and even though they went behind, you never really thought they were going to lose it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me to a slightly lesser extent of the uh, the Barcelona women team who 
think they went unbeaten in La Liga for basically like two seasons. And when they did lose the game finally, it was like massive headline news. And I think there is a case for sort of, you know, I think the athletic Duncan Alexander spoken about it, production fatigue. You know, you, when you have these elite players and these elite teams that put up ridiculous numbers, you just become accustomed to it. And I think there is a case for that as well. And, you know, that game started at Kings Meadow, you know, as we spoke about on Thursday, it looked like, you know, Brighton are going to pull off another shock win uh, when they scored that slightly offside goal to open the game up. But as you say, Chelsea just absolutely dominated Brighton from from then on in. And I think it was Bagley in the Brighton goal was in unbelievable form, kind of emerging from the shadow of having been Mary Earps, his number two for a few seasons at Man United, looked in unbelievable uh, nick, um, not rusty at all, but obviously she and the rest of the Brighton team could only weather the storm for so long. And I think, you know, you look at the subs that Chelsea brought on in that game, you know, Fischl, Fleming, Kankovic, Beaver Jones, you know, this incredible depth to that Chelsea team. And Emma Hayes spoke after the game about, you know, needing that because of the the fixture list and the injuries. We've obviously seen Gura Wrighton go down with an ankle problem. So I think it's lots of positives to take from that game uh, from a Chelsea perspective. We need to start getting some XG figures for WSL games because I think Chelsea's tally from that Brighton match was absolutely absurd. The amount of times they cut the ball back or squared it across the six-yard box or around the penalty spot for a really high-quality shooting chance was just crazy. Uh, they scored four. They could have scored eight, and it wouldn't have been surprising given the quality of chances they created. They, they just seem to be a machine in these games, and I think it's quite good for them. You know, touching on what you and Luke were talking about, Matt. I think it can be hard when you're when you're so good and so dominant week to week. It can be quite hard to maintain those standards because you feel like you're you almost feel like you're not competing against the opponent you're primarily competing against yourself and the standards you set for yourself. But the fact that they have Manchester City up there as well right now on the same sort of pace as them, I think will be good. I think we've we've seen this Chelsea women team do some of their best WSL work when they're in a real title race. I think they they like to feel that that pressure and I think they tend to they tend to thrive under it and history tells us they tend to come out on top. So that could be a, an important aspect of this to to ensure that they keep rolling in these games. International break next weekend. So next game is at beleaguered Aston Villa on the 4th of November. Our old friend Jesse Parker Humphreys has written about Villa's woes for the Athletic. Have a look at that if you are so minded. Uh, since we last spoke, Chelsea have learned their opponents in this season's Champions League group stage. They've been placed in Group D alongside Real Madrid, Hacken of Sweden and Paris FC who knocked out Arsenal in qualifying match day one away to Madrid on the 15th of November. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-18 staged a remarkable comeback in their PL Cup game at Spurs. Hassan Suleiman's team were 2-0 down and 3-1 down before coming back to win 4-3. That despite having captain Travis Akamir sent off. Uh, it means the Blues will qualify for the quarterfinals of that competition if they beat Blackburn in their final group game next month. And no game for the under-21s this weekend. They take on Leicester in PL2 on Friday night. Right, that'll just about do it for today. Liam, what have you got in the pipeline, please? Well, uh, my direct editor 
Dom is is off this week. So as little as I can get away with, Matt. Um, <laughs> only joking, Dom. Please don't call me. Uh, yeah, working on a couple of things. There isn't really much I can say at this point. I'm away for the for the Brentford game, going on holiday, unless I contract some other weird and wonderful illness from my offspring. So Simon, you'll you'll have the dulcet tones of Simon Johnson again on that particular voice note. But I I will have a couple of pieces maybe following on from the Arsenal game on the Athletic up this week. Uh, there's loads of good Chelsea content up there at the moment. Luke, is there anything else we should be keeping an eye out for? Uh, yeah, we've just um, been talking about the WSL and a really, really good piece from James McNicholas and Art DeRoche went out over the weekend about the lack of diversity in the WSL and Chelsea obviously featured quite heavily in that, but for a positive reason. Excellent. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up. If you aren't currently a subscriber, you can follow us on Twitter slash X at SO Cobham pod. And if you want to leave us a nice review on iTunes or Spotify, that would be very helpful and much appreciated too. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks to Lucy, to Luke and Liam. <laughs> Three L's didn't notice that. And me, the big old M, will be back with you on Thursday to preview the Brentford game. We'll have lots more to talk about too. Join us for that if you can. Until then, have a great week. Goodbye. The Athletic.